When I was in junior in high school, uh, our high school hired a new basketball coach. And for the first time in my life, I had a coach come and talk to us about individual goals. He took each one of us into his office and he visited with us about goals that we had for ourselves, things that we wanted to achieve as players in the upcoming season. Uh, he asked us specific questions too about what we wanted. And then he also asked us specific questions on what we were going to do to achieve that goal. And then he sat down with us as a team and he got us all together and he said, what are your goals as a team? What do you guys want to accomplish as a team? Now, what are we going to do to accomplish those goals? Those goals are not just going to happen on their own. We have to have that mindset. We have to put into practice some, some things that are going to help us to achieve those goals. And as a junior in high school, that was the first time in my life that I'd ever thought about that. Because in previous years, with previous coaches, we just kind of dove in and let things fall where they were. Uh, and if we were on our way to the state playoffs, we were on our way to the state playoffs. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and if it didn't, hey, next year we'll, we'll do better. And so that was kind of the mindset. But with this new coach, he says, you know what? We can't take each day as it comes. The only way we're going to achieve our goals is if we make our goals and work towards those goals. This morning, we're continuing our journey through 2 Corinthians, and we find ourselves this morning on the edge of 2 Corinthians 5. And I want to look at verses 9 and 10 this morning. And as we come to 2 Corinthians 5, Paul has been sharing with us why he does ministry. He's sharing with us in chapter 5 why he doesn't lose heart, why he's not discouraged as he does ministry. And he reminds us that, that ministry is not just peaches and cream. There's been tough things that he's gone through. But as Paul speaks about his ministry, Paul reminds us and shows us that his mindset is not on the temporary. His mindset is on the eternal. And that's, that's what he's looking to. And this morning as we look at these two verses, we see Paul's goal. And we see Paul's innermost ambition. And as we look at this passage today, we can't help but be reminded that as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have the same goal. We need to have the same ambition that the Apostle Paul has. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, if you're not already there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, and it says this, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. As we look at this passage this morning, there are two headings that we're going to use. And I went out on a limb and I used one heading for one verse, and I used another heading for the other verse. Pretty amazing, huh? <laughs> so verse 9, we're going to look at Paul's determination. And in verse 10, we see Paul's motivation. Before we dive into this passage and this complex outline, let's just pray. Father, we're grateful for this day that you've given to us. And Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to be able to come before you and worship you this morning. And Lord, I pray that our hearts are open to your word this morning. 
that we would hear from you. And Lord, in order for us to hear from you, our hearts have to be open to your word this morning. And so just take your word, speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we're gathered here together today, and we know that there's nothing that I can share that's of any value. There's nothing here that I can share that's valuable at all. But Lord God, your word, it's of the greatest value. So Lord, I pray that in our time together, we would hear your word and your word alone. So speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. We're grateful for who you are, especially grateful today for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, the first thing we want to see is Paul's determination. Paul's determination. As we begin this passage, it begins with the word so, or the word therefore, depending on your translation. And I know that as we've done this, we've seen this all along through 2 Corinthians, where Paul has been building on his point. He gives us a point, and then he moves to his next point, but he connects this point with the other point. So what Paul is doing is he is building a defense here. He's, he's building his, his argument here and saying, okay, don't forget what I just shared with you, but look at this. This applies to what I just shared you shared with you. And so that's what he is doing once again. He's just continuing to build on his discussion. Uh, we take a week off between these passages, but as Paul is sharing this, he's keeping it all together, just drawing all of this together for his discussion. And he continues doing that here. Uh, he shared with us about the future of our glorified bodies in verses 1 through 8 of 2 Corinthians 5. And he's connecting this, what we're looking at in verse 9, with that discussion that he just had with us last week. And so he connects the dots for us and helps us to see. Now notice verse, verse 9. It says, so, whether we are at home or away. Paul, the last time we were together, he was speaking about this home or away. Last time we saw Paul speak about being home in the body. This was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Paul spoke about being home in the body. And the problem with being home in the body is that we're away from the Lord. But he also spoke about being away from the body and being home with the Lord. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. And I don't know how your Bible is laid out, but my Bible goes verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. It's an amazing thing. So two verses later, he says this, Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he's using that same discussion away and home as he continues this thought here. Paul's desire is to be home with the Lord. Paul's desire is to be home with the Lord and away from the body. But he says it doesn't matter if I'm home or away. If I'm home in the body or away from the body. It doesn't matter if I'm home with the Lord or away from the Lord. He has this desire, whether dead or alive, he has this aim. He has this goal. It doesn't matter if he's dead or alive. Verse 9 says this, We make it our aim to please him. It doesn't matter how you slice it. His aim and his desire is to be pleasing to the Lord. That's his ambition. 
That's Paul's aim. That was his goal. The New American Standard uses the word ambition. And we sometimes think about ambitions as negative things. If we have an ambition to be successful, that's a negative thing. We often have that negative connotation to the thought of ambition. That's just something that, that feeds pride. And that's kind of the goals. Just They just feed pride. That's, that's all they're good for. And sometimes our ambitions are negative. Sometimes our ambitions are prideful. But Paul's ambition was a holy ambition. His ambition was not for his, his own self. His ambition was not for self at all. But his ambition was to be pleasing to God. That was his ambition. The Judaizers desired to please man. That was what motivated Judaizers. Paul used to live in that camp. Paul used to be a Judaizer. But now, Paul is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, his ambition has changed. This is Galatians 1, verse 10. He says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant for Christ. He was now a servant for Christ. He was no longer worried about pleasing man. His desire as a servant of Christ was to please the Master, His Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this thought of, of pleasing the Lord, and this thought of making it our aim to please the Lord, I think it's a good thing for us to kind of step back for a moment and ask this question, what does it mean to be pleasing to the Lord? What does it mean to be pleasing to God? The word for pleasing there means to be agreeable. It means to be uh, have that same mindset, desiring to please them. To be pleasing to the Lord, one must be living according to the will of God. We cannot walk outside of the will of God and be pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't work that way. It's impossible to do that. So to be pleasing to the Lord, we must be living in accordance to the will of God. And in order to please the Lord, we must be believers. We must be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be His followers. We must be born again. Because if we're not, if we're not followers of Christ, it is impossible for us to please the Lord. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So to be pleasing to the Lord, we have to be believers. To be pleasing to the Lord, we have to be walking in accordance to His will. And if we're not believers, we're not walking in accordance to His will. Pleasing the Lord is a matter of living in accordance with the precepts and the commandments that God has given to us. This is 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, uh, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So oftentimes we'll visit with people who will say, you know what, God and I have a special relationship going on. But they're living outside of the will of God. I don't need to do things like the rest of y'all do because we've got something set up here and you know we just do our own thing and we give and take kind of thing. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that if we love God, if we're walking in accordance with the will of God, if we're walking in a way that pleases God, we're going to be following His commandments. We're going to be following the precepts that He's laid out for us. The epistles, the letters of the New Testament are God's plans for us as believers, for us as the church. And it's filled with exhortations and uh, uh, instructions on how to live in a righteous manner. How to live in such a way that we are pleasing to the Lord. That's what the epistles are all about. Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul's writing this letter to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, hey, I've instructed you on how to please the Lord. Keep doing it, and do it more and more. Don't just say, I did it once. I'm, I'm in the club. I've got fire insurance. We're okay. Do it more and more. Seek to be pleasing to the Lord. We have a pit bull that we adopted. Uh, my wife talked to somebody who talked to somebody who knew somebody. And they had a boxer. And uh, when Darcy and I first got married, we had a boxer. And she had a boxer when she was a child. Uh, and so we kind of wanted this boxer. And so we talked to this lady at the Humane Society. And she says, I'm sorry, we... We've adopted that boxer out, but she said, we have a pit bull that's just the sweetest pit bull. And she sent me down there to check it out, and I had to take the kids. <laughs> so we walk in there, and this dog is the most loving dog that you've ever seen in your life. And the ridiculous thing about it, the dog is not my dog. The dog is not Dax's dog. The not, dog is not Daly's dog. The dog is not Darcy's dog. The dog belongs to everybody. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing. When it hears a vehicle pull up, if we ask the question, is it Bubba or Aaron? She's excited because Bubba and Aaron have finally come to see her. So she's like the most affectionate dog and she just desires to please us. That's, that's just her desire. Uh, and she knows there's biscuits in pleasing us. She knows that. But, but she's, that's what motivates her. I mean, she's excited about that. She wants to be pleasing. And Paul is writing this to the people of Thessalonica and says, walk in such a way that you please God and please Him more and more. Not just a one-time thing, but do it more and more. And you know, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, that should be our ambition. 
That should be our goal to be pleasing to the Lord and to walk in such a way that we're pleasing to the Lord. This is Colossians 1 verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says of the people of Colossae, we've been praying for you that you would know the will of God. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. How is it possible to walk in a way fully pleasing to him, to have the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom? Without that, we can't walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. We can't walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And so that was his prayer for the people of Colossae, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Nothing but the love of pleasing God can truly cure the love of pleasing ourselves. We need to live a life of that holy ambition, with that holy ambition. That was Paul's determination. That was his holy ambition. Now, let's look at the motivation. Look at verse 10. For we must all. For we must all. The wording of this to me doesn't appear to be optional. This doesn't seem to be a, a take it or leave it kind of thing. There's a certainty here. There's an, it's inevitable. It's mandatory. And I don't know if you know this or not, but all in the Greek, it means all. He says, for we must. There's certainty. It's mandatory. And he says, all. He doesn't say some of us. Hey, for those of us who are over six foot, for those of us who are male, for those of us who are female, he doesn't say that. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not every believer is ambitious for the Lord, but every believer will appear before the Lord. He says, we must all appear. This word that's used here for appear means to make manifest, to make visible, for something to be caused to be seen. There will be nothing that will be hidden. Now, as we think about this, God already knows everything, right? There's nothing that needs to be manifested to God. And honestly, as we think about standing before God and having everything revealed, honestly, we know as well, don't we? We know that we try to keep secrets from God, but we know that those secrets aren't really hidden. We keep shoving them into the closet, but we know they're in there. We dust around it, but we just don't open the door, you know, especially when company's over. Uh, when no one else is around, we'll open that door, but we do it cautiously, don't we? we? We make sure that we feel it, make sure there's not a lot of weight on the door, 
and then slowly open it. We know what's in there. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the judgment seat of Christ, this is the Bema seat. The definition of this word is a place reached by steps. And this was a place where athletes came to receive their rewards after they competed in the games. And if they won, they would ascend up of these steps to somebody who would lay a crown of, of branches on their head, uh, olive leaves uh, put in a crown they would have on their head, and it would be a sign of their, of their achievement, and that would be their reward. And so they would march up there with pomp and circumstance, and they would receive that reward. That's what this judgment seat or this beam of seat of Christ is all about. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. Believers are the only one that are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, before the beam of seat. Now, the eternal destination of a believer is not going to be determined at the beam of seat. That's already been determined, hasn't it? Jesus Christ took the wages of our sin and nailed it to a cross. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we place our faith in Christ and we recognize that His death and His burial and His resurrection was the payment for our sins, that sin has been forgiven. We don't have to worry about that judgment. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient and if we've accepted that sacrifice by faith it is sufficient to remove our sin death the great white throne judgment is where non-believers will appear and this is at the end of time Non-believers will appear before that judgment seat. That's not going to be for believers. That is for non-believers only. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says this. Paul, or John, writing at the end of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's going to be those who live their life and they reject Jesus Christ. And because they reject Jesus Christ, they're not going to stand before him as a brother, as, as God, as, as a father. They're going to stand before Jesus as a judge. And he's going to pass judgment on them for their sin. And as a result of that, they will be cast into the lake of fire and spend eternity there, absent from Christ. But as believers, we won't stand before that great white throne judgment. We're going to go before the Bema seat. 
Now back to 2 Corinthians, look at verse 10 there. It says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is where our rewards are going to be handed out. We read in Scripture about crowns that are going to be handed out. There's crowns for faithfulness, crowns for humble service, crowns for martyrdom. But there are other rewards that are going to be handed out as well. And notice it says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. We're going to stand before Christ at the Bema seat as individuals. And we will receive what is due, what is due us. No one who lives their life for Christ will feel cheated. None of us will stand there at the Bema seat and say, this isn't fair. I should have had more rewards. I've been keeping track. I should have at least three more. We're not going to be able to say, you forgot me. Because God is going to know. God is going to recognize. Nothing we do for the Lord is going to be overlooked. Nothing we do for the Lord is going to be overlooked. Paul spoke about this in his first letter to the church of Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation on someone uh, uh, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. Fire simply purifies gold and silver. It doesn't harm the gold or silver. But fire will destroy hay and straw. I remember when I was a kid, my grandpa bought the farm, bought the ranch. Didn't die, sorry. <laughs> but I remember when he bought the ranch, and it was the middle of the night, and my parents came in and they woke me up and they threw me in the car and I didn't know where we were going. But we drove outside of town where the ranch was. And I can remember turning and I can remember seeing this ginormous flame. Uh, and I, I mean, I know I was probably three, four, five years old maybe. So I'm sure maybe it wasn't as big as my mindset was. But it was one of those black nights and the fire was as big as anything I've ever seen. And it just engulfed the whole hay barn. Uh, my grandpa had just bought the farm uh, maybe a week or two before that. And the hay that we bought with the barn, all of that just caught on fire and just burned. 
and there was nothing that the fire department could do. I mean, it just, it just burned. All of that straw and all of that hay and all of that wood, there was nothing, there was nothing that was saved. Everything was burned up. Straw and hay are very flammable. Fire doesn't purify hay and straw. Fire destroys hay and straw. As these rewards are done, they will be tested. Our motives for doing those tasks will be tested. And if as, as we carry out those tasks, if it was self-motivation or self-gratification or self-glorification for the reason that we did those tasks, those will not last. But the works that we've done for the glory and for the honor of God, the works that we do for the kingdom, those are the things that are going to last. Those are the things that are going to stand the test. And notice the end of verse 15 there. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Only our works and our rewards will be burned up, but we ourselves will be saved. We read in chapter 21 and chapter 22 of Revelation, the end of the book, that there'll be no more tears in heaven. But I do feel when our works are being tested, that the things that we did out of selfish ambition, when we see the rewards that we've missed out on, the opportunities we had to glorify God and we missed out on those, I can't help but think that there might be a shedding of tear there because we'll realize those opportunities that were missed. Some of our efforts were for self. Paul knew that one day he would stand before Jesus Christ and he knew his works, he knew his ministry, he knew his efforts would be all tested. <clears throat> And that was motivation for him. That was motivation for him not to lose heart, but to continue serving. Because his desire, whether at home or away, was to glorify God. That was his desire. He was determined. He was ambitious to be pleasing to the Lord. And that was his motivation. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoons? I think it's amazing that as we look at Paul's ministry, and I think 2 Corinthians just continues to unfold this for us, but his overarching ambition was to be pleasing to the Lord. It didn't matter what Paul was doing. Everything Paul did, his desire was to please the Lord. He was determined to, to please the Lord. That was his ambition. That's what made him tick, was to please the Lord. As ambassadors of Christ, what is our ambition? What makes us tick? What makes us serve the Lord? Is it because we'll get premier parking at the church building? Is it because we'll be recognized and our name will be printed in the bulletin? Maybe we'll get in the newsletter 
Is that our motivation? Or is our motivation so that one day when we stand before God, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Hopefully that's our motivation. That was the Apostle Paul's motivation. To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul didn't play Christianity as a game. He didn't see it as a great hobby to do in his free time. <clears throat> Paul's ambition was to devote himself for the cause of Christ. Yeah. And he was zealous about the cause of Christ. What are we zealous for? I read this quote this week. And it was so good. Only two things in the world are eternal. Only two things in the world are eternal. The Word of God and people. The Word of God and people. The only two things that are eternal. And it's wise if we build our lives around those two things because everything else is going to be burned up. Paul was motivated, and Paul looked ahead to the Bema seat when he would stand before God, when his rewards were handed out. He had a Bema seat mentality. He had a Bema seat mindset. We meet. A bema seat mentality. We need to have that kind of mindset. Now some of us may be here, we're like, well, I don't really want rewards because that's just going to reflect on me because I'm spiritual enough. I don't need rewards. I'm just doing it. But you know, when we get those rewards, God is going to be the one who's glorified. God is going to be the one who gets the credit for that. Think about this program for a minute. This is not my program. This is God's program. God touches you and draws you into his family, gives you the faith so that you can believe in Jesus Christ. God does that. God gifted you with the gifts that he's given you so that you can in turn use those gifts to serve God. God did that for you. And then we're going to get to heaven one day and according to how we used his gifts to glorify him, he's going to reward us so that we can in turn glorify him. It's almost like this whole system is all about God. And so our ambition, if this is God's whole system, and it is, our ambition should be to please God. That should be our ambition. That should be what we desire to do. So we should have that Bema Seat mindset as well. That God and God alone would be glorified.